a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, whether you're liberal or conservative, you vote for politicians you think are going to enact policies to better the country. But when they're in power, it often doesn't quite work out that way. And a whole lot of those big promises get broken, busted and shattered, uh, leading many voters to feel like they're sort of the perpetual Charlie Brown and uh, their representatives are Lucy with a football since we are into the fall season now, we can officially go to the Lucy Charlie Brown metaphor. Uh, Lucy always pulling away that football at the last minute, and Charlie Brown just always being so confident that this time, this is going to be the time. So, when it comes to our elected officials who seem to be playing the Lucy role with lots of promises, uh, can we expect anything, or are we just stuck as Charlie Brown forever and ending up uh, a little disappointed with what we actually get? Uh, Brian Riedel is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. He had an awesome string of tweets uh, over the weekend or over last week, and uh, he joins us now to help us kind of break this all down as to what the formula is and how we can prevent ourselves as voters from ending up flat on our back once again. Brian, thanks for joining us on a Monday. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right. So let's let's break this down. You said there's actually a formula to all of this in terms of how the uh, scenario <laughs> plays out. Let's uh, let's walk through that. Uh, of course, it all starts with one big, hairy, audacious pro- promise. Yeah. I mean, uh, what happens is, you know, uh, the Democrats will get elected promising trillions in tax the rich proposals that mean a free lunch for everybody else. And Republicans will get elected promising trillions in government spending cuts from waste, fraud, and abuse, which also promises a free lunch for everybody. So it sounds great. sounds too good to be true. What ends up happening is then you move to the second step, which is it turns out that it's not so easy. A lot of the policies that were originally thought to be part of the package are seen as too controversial. Reality hits them in the face. Uh, Smarter people start looking at the policies, and the advocates say, okay, fine, you're right. We can't do some of those policies because those are probably unworkable, but we still have low-hanging fruit. And that's when you go to step three, which is when you find out you can't even pass the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> and I, and I, that, I, I'm going I'm to pause you right there for a second, sure. because <laughs> just because we, we've seen this so many times. And, and again, it, it, it happens on both sides. And it's the, it's the big idea. It's the big thing you run on. You, you quickly get rid of all of the things that are just absolutely impossible, just not going to happen. Uh, and then you move to, okay, well, there is low-hanging fruit. That's always the mantra. Uh, I always remember in the Senate, yep. I was like, well, there's low-hanging fruit. We're going to take that, and that's going to help us at the midterm. And then you get into opposition there. The problem with the low-hanging fruit is if it was that low-hanging, it would have <laughs> been picked by now. That's right. The fact that it's never been passed before <laughs> tells you that even the low-hanging fruit doesn't, you know, is, isn't that low-hanging. So then what happens this is like, you know, the, the stages of grief. You go to stage four, <laughs> which is 
you go back to the hard stuff you threw overboard the first time, mm-hmm. and you go, oh gosh, if we can't even do the easy stuff, maybe we maybe the hard stuff is doable. D- double and then down. You get to step five, which is we can't do anything. <laughs> and I can tell you, the Republicans went through this with a comically depressing push for spending cuts in 2018, and the Democrats are are going through this right now with their attempts to tax the rich. That is that is churning out with nothing. Uh, it, it's so stunning, and it's 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 a sad commentary that we we haven't figured this out in terms of both voters and members of Congress can't figure out that there there is a there has to be a better way, a different way uh, to do this because uh, as you mentioned, we we've seen this over and over again, and we've again seen it with the Democrats this time around that they went all big and it was Green New Deal is going to be in there and fifteen dollar minimum wage and tax the rich and all of that, and so then they abandoned that early. They go to what they say is low-hanging fruit, can't get that. And so then what do they do? Then they double down on the impossible stuff, thinking, well, we can at least try to score some political points that maybe will help us maintain power in the midterms. Yeah, this is the flailing stage. <laughs> just trying to find anything. I mean, it's really remarkable because what the Democrats had said is that we can pay for the entire $112 trillion in baseline deficits over the next 30 years from taxing the rich. And furthermore, we can even add tens of trillions of more spending over the next couple decades from taxing the rich. And when it comes down to it, even a full Democratic government is having trouble finding $1 trillion. So that whole tax the rich utopia, we don't have to cut any spending, we can do Medicare for all and Green New Deal and free college, they can't even close 8% of the existing 10-year budget deficit, much less, much less pay for anything else. It turns out that all that tax the rich utopia was a giant bluff. But Republicans had the same thing happen in 2018. Right. There was a push to have a full Republican government cut spending by $6 trillion over 10 years. Great headlines. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> then they came up and said, well, actually, we're, even though the budget calls for that, we're $200 billion over 10 years, which is one thirtieth. Then it, they turned into a rescission bill that was going to be $5 billion over 10 years. And then ultimately, it came down to $16 million over 10 years. $16 million with an M, which is one three millionth of what they originally promised, and Senator Burr tanked that because he said he could not handle a $16 million spending cut. And the Republicans ended up instead passing a $100 billion spending increase. Oh, wow. <laughs> and here we are on a Monday. We should have saved this for Friday. <laughs> and, and, you know, and people wonder, how do you end up with deficits of $3 trillion per yeah. year? Yeah. It's a comedy of errors in Washington. Uh, it is. And so and so how do we start changing that game? How, what is it going to take uh, in terms of changes to either the, the party apparatus or or whatever it is to get, you know, to get the kind of candidates that can go back uh, and, and have a reasonable, rational conversation uh, and then get things that uh, I don't even want to talk about low hanging fruit anymore. I want to talk about outcomes. Can we just do something that produces an outcome that's actually good uh, for the people of the country? You know, p- p- as much as I love to beat up on politicians and having worked in the Senate for six years, I, I, nothing pleases me more than beating up on yeah. politicians. A lot of the blame ultimately resides with the voters yes. because voters have, have 
warped ideas of how to fix the budget. The left thinks you can pay for everything in the liberal wish list from taxing the rich and and cutting defense. In reality, not you can't come within miles. And unfortunately, a lot of people on the right think if you just eliminate foreign aid and waste, fraud, abuse, and, and welfare for people who don't work, that can pay for everything. And that's not true either. So what ends up happening is it turns out that middle-class benefits are most of the spending, and middle-class taxes are going to have to pay for most of, the, of, 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 of any tax hike. And that's when people who used to be like, let's get the budget under control, go, whoa, 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 not, so not fast. if it affects me. <laughs> and then you get the interest groups taking over and everyone defending their dollar. I'm not defending politicians because I think there's actually a path forward, especially if politicians work bipartisan, because it's really hard to do this from one side by yourself because right. the other side's going to pummel you. But a lot of, but ultimately, politicians don't move on this stuff because they're scared of you and I voting them out. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's what we have to get to. It is a it is a we the people issue in the end. Uh, and as you talked about those middle class components, uh, the the numbers last week were amazing that, uh, you know, 70 percent of Americans think taxing the rich is a good way to deal with the climate issue. But then if you ask those same voters, would they be willing to spend two dollars, just two dollars more a month to help with climate change? It drops by like 25 percent. And if you ask them to spend ten dollars a month of their own money uh, to help climate change, you know, it drops in half. Uh, and so ultimately it does come back to a lot of we the people issues. And uh, I think if we're going to ever end this uh, Lucy and uh, Charlie Brown with the football, uh, it it is going to have to s- start, as you said, uh, Brian, with we the people. Yeah. In fact, you know, it's not even just broad voters. There was an amazing Vox poll in 2016 that said uh, two thirds of Bernie Sanders voters would not be willing to accept any tax hikes. Or, or, or price increases for universal health care, Green New Deal, or free college. <laughs> Two-thirds of the Sanders voting socialists said, I will accept this only if billionaires are paying the whole cost. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that kind of puts a little uh, reality on the whole socialist tax the rich revolution, because if taxing the rich can't do it, and the voters won't even pay for tax hikes themselves you can't get there from here yeah um but on the flip side again you know a lot of conservatives you know will say cut the budget and you'll say well what should we cut and they'll say foreign aid foreign aid is less than one percent of the budget and a a lot of that stuff is are things like international security staffing our embassies not exactly stuff you know it's it's not all just giving money to dictators yeah Uh, there's not money that can be cut but it's just not that easy to, to balance the budget that way yeah, well, fantastic perspective on a Monday. Uh, always appreciate Brian Riedel, senior <laughs> fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Thanks for chiming in, and we'll have you back real soon. We've got to continue this conversation. It's been a pleasure. All right, thanks, Brian. All right, we're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. Washington, D.C., of course, is looking pretty dysfunctional right now, as we just talked about. Is there a better way? Jay Evenson has a great piece in the Deseret.com that t- talks about who we can learn from. Estonia? Let's find out. Coming up next. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.